welcome to Football Masterminds, the show where we attempt to say intelligent things about football. I'm Reese Desmond, and I am here with the the lost camera footage to my Harry Maguire penalty. Here is Kosti Kapoor. Hello, hello. This is sort of the wrap-up of summer football, I guess. Euros coming to an end, Copa America coming to an end. Um, yeah, I guess the summer would have been more quiet, I think, even on the show and just everywhere in chats and everything. But it's been popping. But now is our last sort of content production piece for the summer tournaments. Yeah, the summer football coming to an end. I, I never termed it that way in my own head, but I think that's a very good term for it. The summer football. Uh, yeah, the Euros coming to an end, of course, the Copa America coming to an end. Uh, I was never really like all that into Copa America. I didn't watch a single game, so definitely going to be relying on your expertise there with everything going on with Messi and his first ever international tournament win. Uh, but of course, we're going to start with the Euros and the big win for Italy on penalty kicks over England. Uh, the final score 1-1 after extra time, but Italy taking it on penalty kicks. What were your overarching thoughts on the match, Costi? Um, all right, overall thoughts. England played really well for the first 20 minutes. Then they faded away in the game. I truly, in my head, even though this was two days ago, cannot remember any other significant, significant chance that England had. While I can think of maybe a couple of Italy's chances, aside from their goal, just one of them is the Pickford save where he dove bottom right or bottom left, if you're looking from his angle. Overall, I think Italy did not create enough clear-cut chances for me to sit here and say they totally deserve to win. They should have definitely won. But again, I was very, very, very disappointed with England's leadership on the field with Harry Kane. After the 75th mark, minute mark, I saw him jogging, which was just insane. And I know that's Harry Kane when he plays football. He's not the most energetic presser of the ball. But in a final, I thought I'd see a bit more conviction that he could win things. Maybe it's like a Tottenham ghost that he just thinks he can never win it but get to finals. But overall, yeah, uh, Italy won, England could have won. I think my reaction would have been sort of similar. I was of the same mind, of course. England obviously dominated the the opening 30 minutes and then Italy just completely started to regain their foothold over the match, completely started to dominate the possession. And uh, eventually everything just caught up to England and they conceded a, a quite a poor goal to concede from a set piece. They've been very good from open play in particular and defending at this tournament. Uh, but to concede a goal like that where you have so many chances to clear your lines and every single time an Italy player wins the header or the duel instead and eventually it ends up in the back of the net, it was a little bit disappointing to see. But uh, I think overall, like you mentioned Harry Kane, I thought he had a, a, a good game, particularly the first half, of course, where he was very bright. He was switching play left to right. Uh, he was dropping deep in the right ways. And then, obviously, his penalty kick was quite good at the very end. So there's still many positives to take away from England. But obviously, I think it's the result that a lot of us Canadians were probably not rooting for in the end. 
Yeah, I I don't, especially for me, it was the way that Italy got to the final. I did not think that they deserved to be in that final um, with their win against Spain. So I, that's for me, I guess, one of the biggest reasons that I thought Italy shouldn't have won this and England definitely should have won this. And it was just, it wasn't convincing enough either. It was just like kind of an okay-ish game where England were just 20, maybe let's say 30 yards from their goal for majority of the game, which was just so sad to see. Like, I understand that Gareth, Gate, Gareth Southgate wanted to be defensively strong, and, but defending a one-goal lead for like 60-odd minutes is, is you've seen it. It's, it's barely possible. Jose Mourinho's best teams could have done it, but you're obviously not Jose. So you should have made those substitutions maybe earlier. Or I think it was more of a tactical thing where um, just defend really deep and try and not concede for 60 minutes. I think that's I, – I, I don't think that's a good strategy. And I think I've mentioned this on the show before as well, that like that to me as a strategy seems so passive that if you concede, you just – you get really hammered on because this was your strategy and it rarely works. So I don't know why that was something that – they went along with, and I know we're going to cover the penalties, so I'm going to leave that. But just one last comment on Harry Kane was that I thought Harry Kane in the first half was the guy who deserved to be a hundred and whatever million player. In the second half, I just didn't see enough of him. And honestly, that wasn't me, mainly it wasn't because of him either, because England rarely had the ball. So it was just so hard for him to get into the game. But first half, he was the one thing that impressed me the most of him was definitely his ball control where he would just take it in tight spaces and try like random cry of turns and get a foul and make sure that he contains the ball when it gets to him. That was, that was like, okay, this guy's transfer fee just went up by another 20 million. Yeah. He was pretty good in possession in that first half. And then I think he ended the match on like 54% possession of his completed passes, uh, which is pretty shockingly bad in the end. So yeah. And a, a bit of an up and down performance for Harry Kane in particular, uh, and to be honest, a lot of England players, although I do think most of them were very sound, especially from like their back five to the midfield two in particular, were all good. Uh, but that's because they, like you said, they were set up in a way to just be very defensive. And the moment that Luke Shaw scored that goal, pretty much after that, they started to just sit back a bit more and allow Italy to gain a foothold over the game. They didn't push hard enough to keep possession of the ball in the right way to progress forward uh, in ways that they were getting Sterling or Mount to actually work some of their magic and do intelligent things on the ball. It was just all all a bit one-dimensional where it was all a bit, okay, we're going to play out from the back to the left. We're going to pass it to Shaw. Shaw's going to pass it to Harry Kane. Harry Kane's going to switch to Trippier. And they didn't like have any other ideas almost until they started changing their tactics around in the second half. Uh, so it was a bit surprising to see that from uh, Southgate because I've I've sort of defended him in the sense that like whenever people say he's very negative or he's over defensive, I'm kind of like, yeah, but they haven't conceded a single goal at this tournament, and also the football has been decently good. They've been pretty free-flowing in attack, even if they're not taking enough shots. This this game was just another level of negativity, I think, that I don't think I can necessarily defend this time. Uh, and it's not even in the sense of, like, his tactics or formations. Like, 
I think starting with a back three didn't necessarily inherently make his team more negative. They started the match very well with the wingbacks being so key to their attack. It was more just about the fact that the mentality of the players, more so than the tactics, were negative. I think that steps from sort of um, the early team talk that you get when you're setting up for the game. If you've been told that if you start seeing Italy progress, then just sit back and defend that progression, that's sort of like just the mentality that comes in. And I saw that, like, just anecdotal things, but like Harry Kane, when he came on, when in the second half, he had a couple of hand waves to the players to say, move up the line and let's let's actually give them a game instead of being passive. When especially when Henderson came on, he was trying to press from the front. But we all know about pressing that if you don't do it as a team, you're not going to be successful. And then he sort of stopped that as well. Trippier wasn't getting up and down the way he was getting up and down in the first half, um, which was extremely sad to see because he was having such a vibrant game. And then just to see that it was just so sad. I think it's like, I think what I heard one of the commentators say in the game that um, final is usually won by proper in-game management and understanding. And I think, I honestly don't think it, England had enough winners on the pitch to actually understand that. Ex- I guess, except for Walker, I don't think our inherent leaders either. Um, there just wasn't enough leadership on the field to say, hey, listen, we're getting absolutely battered in possession. We're on the verge of conceding a goal, let's push high up and let's take that risk to actually press them so that they, they can't just pass around in circles, right? Which they couldn't do in the beginning 20 minutes. The game wasn't, the game hadn't inherently changed. The players were the same. It's just England's mentality after they scored one was, yeah, we can just probably defend this because we haven't conceded any goals and that didn't work out. See, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a thing about leadership. I just think there actually is so many different leaders in that team. Like, Maguire is an excellent captain, an excellent leader. He was, I think, captain in his very first season at Manchester United as, like, a 25-year-old, which is not easy to do. Uh, and it shows kind of the character that he has. And, yeah, like, the, maybe not enough winners, but if you compare it to Italy, I'm sure it's around the same. Like, you didn't mention Henderson in there. All of these players have a winning mentality. I don't necessarily agree that it's like a thing about leadership or a thing about like a winning mentality i just sort of think that it's almost like they didn't have a plan b for how else they were going to play uh especially after scoring that goal where it was just like okay we know how to defend we know all of the principles of play of how we're going to stop italy from playing up from the back from progressing vertically uh from getting actually good chances in the final third which they did a very good job of they forced italy into just constantly half chances from distance rather than actually allowing them into Pickford's penalty area. I think they continued to play the same way when it wasn't working. And then Gareth Southgate did not make tactical substitutions in the second half to actually fix that. Let's just say for this would never happen. Let's say they brought on Dominic Calvert-Lewin instead, dropped Harry Kane as a number 10. He's basically playing as a number 10 anyways. And just say, Stones, Maguire, put some long balls into this guy to knock down and like ruffle a bit of feathers back there with Kulini and Bonucci because they just had complete dominance against England, who were basically playing a strikerless system for throughout the match. They made Italy's job easier a lot of the time. They de- yeah, they definitely did. They didn't have a plan B. And my, my comment on even 
taking off Mason Mount was just it was just late. I think he should have been off after 45. I think his game was sort of run. He didn't he wasn't a prominent figure in the front three. When you have just a front three, it's not you have a front four or an attacking midfielder behind you, and it's your job to pick up the ball sort of in midfield like you do for Chelsea and beat players and do your do your magic and you can't do that. Uh, you should be subbed way earlier than you were. And maybe Saka was, I think Saka was a decent choice, although I don't think he had, he's a, definitely had better games than this one. Uh, it, it was maybe time to bring on a Grealish type or time to bring on, even take off Rice early and bring on Henderson that'll give you that energy in midfield so that you can actually press and start winning some balls and actually start thinking about a plan B with Grealish at that point, you know, see how the game progresses. But yeah, you're right. Like they didn't have a plan B. Harry Kane got outmuscled in the second half by Chiellini and Bonucci. And just, it was just, it was just like they were waiting for something to happen. And even when something happened, they made a couple changes, but it wasn't just, it was just too late. I think star players like Grealish, if you're going to go, if that's your plan B, which I think Southgate's plan B is always Grealish. When things are sort of at the 70th minute mark, he's like, okay, I need a I need a charismatic player. Let me bring on Grealish. I think it should be 60, you know? Give him a bit more time to settle into the game, understand the game. I think the expectation off of Grealish is wrongly put on him by Southgate to expect for him to definitely produce something in the last 15 because that clearly is the expectation when you bring him on and you don't start him. I just don't think that's fair for him to do consistently throughout the tournament. Yeah, the, talking this through with you, it gives you just so many ideas of what England actually could have done better here. And so I'll start with the Mount Grealish debate there. So Mason Mount came off in the 99th minute for Jack Grealish. That's how long it took for Gareth Southgate to realize, you know what? Mason Mount's just not really on it today. I think I'm going to sub him out of this match. The 99th minute. It's just kind of baffling that you expect that off of a player not one game, but every single game. And bringing on a 19-year-old in that high-pressure environment, I don't think it's the right decision. And I think someone like Jaden Sancho, someone like Jack Grealish, someone like Marcus Rashford should have been that player instead if that was going to be the decision. I've been surprised that Saka's got any minutes over those three players. He's played well in other games, but not. it's not like you could say... Rashford, Grealish, and Sancho wouldn't have played as well. They all have much, much more on their resumes to suggest that they would have probably done better than Saka in the games that Saka has played. So there's that. And then there's the decision to bring on Henderson for Rice, which I I didn't necessarily agree with because I, I'm fine with bringing Henderson on, but I didn't think it was necessary to take off Declan Rice at that time. I felt like Declan Rice was actually one of the more driving forces for the team in possession of the ball in particular. Like he had a lot of moments where he dribbled the ball at speed and was kind of like the West Ham United race that we're more used to seeing rather than the England race, which can be a bit more redundant. And I thought he was having a very good game. So I think matching Italy's like 4-3-3 with three central midfielders in Henderson, Rice, and Phillips could have done a little bit more damage hypothetically than bringing on another attacker like Saka to to try and mix up the match instead. Some kind of attacking presence was needed to win that match. If 
And so I'm fine with the decision of, okay, not going three in midfield, but burning on someone like Saka. It just shouldn't have been Saka. It should have been Sancho, Grealish, Rashford. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Like, why not? Why not Dominic Calvert-Lewin at at that situation? Just something completely different. And more often than not, on that Calvert-Lewin point, uh, Jordan Pickford, more often than not, did just huff it upfield. And it was all to Harry Kane or Raheem Sterling. And the other thing is, I'm also, I think I want to narrow down to Jaden Sancho, who had an amazing game when he started. And him instead of Saka, instead of him, was just insane as well. Like that, because for Grealish, the biggest criticism is that he doesn't defend, which, like, I don't agree with it till that sense that you don't bring him on earlier in the final. But Sancho, from what I saw at least, is better at that. So why not? Sancho over Saka. I, I very confused again. Uh, Saka does usually play on the right, and I think does uh, does uh, Sancho play on the left for Dortmund? I think Sancho does play on the left, but he very frequently in matches he will switch between left and right in a single match alone, and he does also often play on the right, so he can play either. So yeah, like he would have been a better choice, and I don't. I th- like like I said, I think it's just that the final game sort of mentality and tactics and in-game management was just missing for England. I think if they, at the 60 and at the 70, they made the appropriate changes, I think they would have fared way better and not went to penalties. The the difference in Southgate's mind is Saka and Mount and Sterling are all excellent at pressing, and they do that for their club teams week in, week out. Sancho, Grealish don't necessarily like they can be good at that there's no reason to suggest that they wouldn't be decent pressers particularly Sancho who's very mobile and fast uh Grealish is not like as quick but he he has enough footballing IQ to him that you could tell him how to press and he would do it effectively but in in Southgate's mind it's like Saka and Mount and Sterling are these amazing aggressive pressers but at that time in the match they didn't need more pressing necessarily Italy were being very, very patient out from the back. They, There was no need to, like, really just ramp up the pressing and kill ourselves going all in on Italy. Like, what we, what England needed, I almost said we there. I don't know why I'm English all of a sudden. Uh, but what England needed was, I'm more convincing myself of the Henderson, Rice, Phillips midfield three. I think they needed more quality in midfield. Get on, Get on the ball. And then have different avenues to go forward and use Sterling in the correct ways. Use someone like Calvert-Lewin in the correct ways. Um, use Harry Kane where he's able to now drop deep and actually have it be purposeful that he's doing that. They didn't have enough where you look at them and they're like, okay, they're going to be actually good in attack. It's just, that's the negative part of it from Southgate. It's the, okay, we're going to be defensive and we're going to press aggressively. But like at that point, there was no need for that. If the first 20 minutes were a testament to how well they can play, they they did press Italy. Italy did not have as much of the ball. Italy couldn't settle down. It's just when you let them settle down, you know they're going to be amazing at forming those triangles with uh, Immobile and Insignia dropping deep to collect the ball. And they're going to run triangle around you, and you can try to press them. It won't go that well. If you're going to do a plan B, you need that quality on the ball. Maybe you put on... A Henderson, you took off Trippier, that's fine. You put on a Henderson, you take off Mount and put on like a Sancho or a Grealish, and you suddenly have a way more pressing because Henderson literally does that mm. day in, day out and has won everything in 
in club football to win doing that. And you bring on Grealish or Sancho that are your charisma players that when it gets to them, they're doing way better than Mount is because Mount's not doing enough. And that would have been different. And then Harry Kane gets the chance to actually link up with these midfielders which are who are definitely going to keep the ball don't get me wrong every all three of them would have kept the ball and you have calvin phillips who would have made those tackles to ruffle some feathers as well the thing about the deck on rice substitution like i i agree with everything you said i think like we are very much on the same page about this i actually thought calvin phillips was also very good like i wouldn't have taken off rice or calvin phillips i thought phillips understood his role in the press and what you mentioned about Insignia and Immobile dropping deep, like that is that was the worry because he was very high in the diamond that they were forming in that pressing structure. He was the one trying to stop Jorginho mostly from getting on the ball. And I talked about this in my tactical analysis on the website for the for the match, if you want to check that out on the mastermindsite.com. But essentially what that meant would be that because he was so much higher and that the back line wasn't reacting to that necessarily pushing up with that diamond and attack that was pressing from the front, that left space that could have hypothetically been uh, going to Insignia, going to Immobile, if they had the desire to take advantage of that space, they didn't do that. So by not pressing more aggressively, you mitigate that even more. Uh, which would have been beneficial to England for sure, and then hopefully allowed them to regain possession and get on the ball and, like you said, have Harry Kane involved in the right ways again. So, yeah, we're we're on the same page about this completely. Um, let's just quickly talk about Italy as well. Italy, Italy had a very interesting game where they were not very good for 30 minutes, and then they were pretty good for the other 90 of it in the end with the extra time added in. Uh, but just England could not find a way past Italy's two warriors at the back there. Bonucci and Chiellini were fantastic again. I can't believe how good these two players have been at this tournament. Them and I will say another little fellow named Chiesa, who is just, I don't know where he gets all this energy from. It's just like, I think he's going to be an amazing player in the next few years just he can do i think all of their front three can shoot but he can shoot on site collect the ball and everything um i went on a tangent there about him but yeah killing and Benucci are just absolute gods of what they do absolutely monsters and they take pride in that and you rarely see that sort of pride in defenders these days which is like cool and they're best friends and they are going on vacation on wednesday together and they've been on the same team for so long. And it's just kind of cool to see, you know, it's like a, it's like friendship. They just be friends on the pitch together. It's kind of cool. How do you know that they're going on vacation together? Yeah, you... like the commentator said it like a billion times during the game. Oh, oh Kylian and Bonucci are going to have so much to talk about on their vacation together on Wednesday. Maybe we're watching different commentary teams because that's, that's pretty funny to hear. Yeah, they were, they were outstanding. And it's just the 34 and 36 and... Sure, maybe that only makes them better that they have all this experience, but it's still crazy to see the way Kilini like dives into tackles, like he's just still a young man. And they both obviously, I think you said this as well. Like they just both play with so much heart and so much desire. They just want everything that little bit more, and that is really what takes like a team of very good players into a team of winners. 
is having players that just want it that much more. I definitely agree with the Chiesa point you make as well. He Maybe he gets it from his dad because his dad was a professional footballer as well, but he is an outstanding player. He, he was very good. He was the driving force for Italy in a lot of ways when he was on the ball and attack. Uh, they didn't have a lot else that was like really actually progressive or dangerous throughout the match, but he was always. So uh, he, he was, was the only worst player on Italy. He was, yeah. Gianluigi Donnarumma, he won player of the tournament. We're very close to talking about the penalty kicks. Do you think that was an odd decision or do you think that was a, a correct one? I think it was a correct one given that um, he also won the Golden Glove. Yeah. And it's always like this in like these tournaments. When you're winning something, you get these sorts of awards. And even though there might have been a better player overall in the games, I think you know the amount of cons- uh, goals conceded by Italy had to play a, obviously a part in there. And you know it was just it's like an emotional sort of uh, fairy tale ending that everybody you know wants. And I. You know, I support it because Italy did win. And I think on that team, you could have given it to Bunici or uh, Chiellini as well, just because of all the heart. But Donnarumma winning it with such a young age, I, th- I think it's... I'll give I'll give, I'll give, give you it for that. Yeah, I think particularly Bunucci because Chiellini missed a few matches in there with his injury. But for me, Bunucci was the player of the tournament. I thought he was outstanding in every single match and that Italy's defense was so much better because of him. And he also, like, his performance in the final game was immaculate. He was very good in all areas of the game. Possession, defending, he scored the goal, he created a chance, he was great in the air, he was great with the ball at his feet. Just everything about his performance was man-of-the-match quality. And for me, I think as in the tournament as a whole, that he would be the one I would pick. It's interesting, though, like I think there's a stat out there. I don't know how many times in a row this has happened, but I know it's happened every single time recently where in the World Cup, it seems to always go to a player who doesn't win the tournament. And in the Euros, it's gone to like every single time recently, it's gone to a player that has won the tournament, which is a very interesting stat for me. I'm not I'm not sure why that is. But for me, like an Italy player deserved to win it this time. I would have probably gone with Benucci because I think he was the standout one. But Donnarumma is an excellent choice. Jorginho was maybe a shout there, but he's not the type of player who really wins that he's kind of award. Of that, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like it's like the people shouting shouting Conte for Ballon d'Or. It's like that. It's not going to happen. You have to be like an insane midfielder to actually win it. I don't remember the last time a midfielder won like a Ballon d'Or. It was it was Modric uh, with the World Cup year. Oh yeah. Okay, uh, but that but that is like the only example of like recent times because before that obviously it was Messi Ronaldo just playing Ronaldo, just Ronaldo trading just it back and forth. <laughs> I think the the one before that must have been like Kaká back in the day. Yeah, uh, yeah, which is a long time ago. Like I think that's like oh six or oh eight or something. Yeah, Donnarumma was very good, and obviously his penalty saves ended up winning the day, which we'll talk about right now. So this was. Uh, Can we actually another... just talk about the Jorginho yeah. yellow potential red on green? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I. I would love to. I think it was a red card. Oh, the tackle cool. alone, I think, was a red card. Um, I also think that he should have been booked earlier in the match, 
for a lot of that, Italy had resorted to like a very tactical fouling kind of approach and just completely were breaking up England attacks left, right and center for very bookable offenses. But the referee was being very lenient with his cards and not getting them out of that pocket, I think, quick enough. I think Jorginho should have already been on a yellow card at the time that he made that horrific tackle. I think, yes, he should have been on a yellow card. He had way too many offenses that should have been booked. And then that stomp, yes, he rolled his his foot off the ball, but it was a stomp into somebody's thigh. How is that not a red? That's like high high boot because Grealish was on the ground. But it's it's just insane to see. Like some of the refereeing decisions, I think, were um, not the best this evening as well. Yeah, I just think he was very hesitant to make big calls like i think there were a lot of book of offenses particularly from england from italy's side of it i don't even think harry Maguire's yellow card necessarily was like one of the worst tackles of the day i i definitely don't think so i think there were much worse stuff calvin phillips had one where like a, a player like cleats up hit him on the knee around the 18 yard box and he, he the referee played advantage i don't know who that was if that was Jorginho, like that should have been a yellow card as well because that was a very bad tackle. I don't, I, I don't know if many people will remember it because it was just a, the sort of thing where you play advantage right away and then the attack breaks down and the referee doesn't come back to it. But I was like, surely you have to go back to that. It was a very bad tackle. And Italy, I don't know how many fouls they had in this match. Like an incredible amount. Like from a cumulative fouling perspective of like the, this entire team is fouling every three seconds when England have the ball. They should have been booked more times than they were. And you could see Grealish being like, look at my leg, sir. Look at my, look at the big cut in my leg. It's the Howard Webb 2010 World Cup final all over again, where it's like, this is clearly a red card. You clearly don't want to send off a player because it's the World Cup final. If it wasn't the World Cup final, if it was any other match, you would have sent this player off. So you should have sent this player off, even though it was a major final. And the ramifications of sending a player off are massive, sure. But look at the tackle. So let's let's talk about this. Donnarumma ends up being player of the tournament. By and large, I think one of the reasons why is this penalty kick shootout. He is just so good in penalties. I didn't know this. He's just so tall and he has very good form with his diving techniques that he can get across very quickly. And he reads the situations very well. Uh, so I think, I think like that's first thing to note for me is that Donnarumma did very well, but I think obviously we've already talked about this between the three of us, between you, me and Russell, and we are all kind of on the same opinion that Gareth Southgate made some iffy selections with his penalty kick takers. Giving your fifth penalty to a 19 year old is very, 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 very weird. I know the first one is important, so you give it to Harry Kane. But the fifth one needs to be an assured, confident player that has played at somewhat of this level before or done something significant where they can calm their nerves and go and hit the ball in the corner and do well for their country. Not to blame Bukayo Saka because obviously he's just 19 and he's getting into the game and absolutely proud of him for saying yes to the job given to him. But Garrett Southgate made some interesting decisions there. Um, I think the only one that I truly do support, because I don't know enough about Jaden Sancho, is the Rashford penalty. 
but also he's low on confidence. So I don't even know there, but the Rashford penalty thing at least is that he, before Bruno, used to take all of United's penalties and he's damn good at them. So his miss but is was not granted. And it's so funny because I was watching it with my brother and his wife and we we're just sitting down. And as soon as I saw that run up, for some reason, I just said, he's going to miss. He is absolutely going to miss. Just look at how... A, how much time he's taking to decide where he's going to shoot the ball. You you already know that's not a good sign. You need to know where you're going to shoot it. Before you even put down the ball, you need to know where you're going to shoot it, pick a spot, and just shoot the ball there. Unless you do something like Jorginho, which is an absolutely different technique. You take pick a spot and shoot it right there. And just that run-up was absolutely not confident. Even just the way he was standing, I'm like, please tell me you're going to go at this from a different angle than the one you're standing at right now. Because you're standing at, like straight on. Like, what was that? It just, it, the penalty, his, for me, his was the worst of them. Sancho's was not good. He very much telegraphed where he was going to go with his entire body shape as he was taking the kick. Saka never looked confident as well. Uh, Sancho doesn't take penalties for Borussia Dortmund. Holland and Royce do. I've, I don't remember a time when Sancho has taken a penalty. I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure he's taken one. When I saw Rashford warming up, I was like, okay, that makes sense. You want another player who can take a penalty kick. Manchester United did this in the Europa League final. They brought on Mata and Tellez. It worked to an extent because they both scored their penalty kicks. Louis van Hall has done this with Tim Krul, bringing him on off the bench to save penalties. Like, I understand the rationale there. But when I saw Sancho was alongside him, I'm like, I, I watch every single game Borussia Dortmund plays. I have never seen Sancho take a penalty kick. I don't remember any single time when this has happened. I was shocked that he was about to come on into the match. And I just think at that point, you need people who are not only experienced players, but like are just cooler heads. They're, they're leaders. They, like, they're very much ready to take a penalty kick because they know, even if I miss, I'm going to do this for my team. And I think... Declan Rice is that type of player, even though he's very young as well. He has taken and scored a penalty kick this season for West Ham. Sure, only one. That's fine. He has the temperament, the leadership to do that. And him being off the pitch was a miss for England because I think he could have been one as well. I don't know what happened with Sean Sterling. I don't know if they didn't want to take one because they are the obvious two that should have been four and five. Shaw's technique from set pieces from dead balls is probably one of the best on that team. And Sterling, I know for sure has scored penalty kicks for Manchester city. I know for like, I know he's missed some as well. I've, I've seen some of his high profile misses and maybe he didn't want to take one himself, but surely you say to Sterling, like the other option is this 19 year old kid. Like you should be the one that takes it, please. I don't understand for the life of me why Shaw and Sterling didn't end up stepping up to take a penalty kick. I, I don't know if I'll ever understand that. If Unless someone comes at it and tells me, you know, they just refuse to take one. I don't think that is the case. To top it all off, I'm going to end on a tragic note that England <laughs> supporters are absolutely disgusting with oh, what they oh. do. In terms of racism, I saw a video today of them beating up Southeast Asian people, specifically men, and uh the african-american community as well and calling them names and saying racist abuse because their team lost and they were mad and it's just really sad to say that we live in this world where 
these people truly believe that it's their country and they've grown up there and their friends there and their family there and they support their team with all their heart. And then they have to go through all this racist abuse at the end of a major tournament. We at Football Masterminds do not stand for that and we will voice it whenever it happens. We do not accept it at all. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up again, Costa, because it's just, it was horrible to see that new story come out and to see that again, England players, players in this game in general are suffering racist abuse. It really should not be something that happens today in our world, especially, well, not even especially, but just like how heartbroken these players are and you're abusing them at all let alone racially it's terrible i i don't i don't understand it and i feel awful for all of these people that are suffering this uh well hope to have russell back next week couldn't have him on tonight he was set to be here and then his wi-fi cut out so uh, we'll hope to have russell next week to discuss more on the Copa america if you're interested in hearing about that costi and i are also planning on discussing some of the upcoming uh, events of the season that will become very soon in uh, mid-August. We're going to talk about some transfers, some of the the preseason stuff going on. So make sure to be back next week for another episode of Football Masterminds. But before you go away from this one, Kasi, where can people find you? Just like always at Football Masterminds. And uh, as always, follow Spin the Ball it's a new interesting show that we've started. It's um, it's Reese's baby, to be honest, but it's coming along really well and coming out really well. And I'm sure we'll be doing more on that as well. Yeah, spin the ball coming this week. We're going to be talking about the Ballon d'Or and uh, potential winners and why certain positions always seem to win the award. It's something that actually came up to- tonight in this podcast. So if, you, if you're interested in that kind of thing, definitely check out our discussion on the Bowon d'Or coming up on Spin the Ball this week. So for me, you can, of course, find me at Desmond Reese at Mastermind site all over social media. Also, check out what we've got on the mastermindsite.com right now. We had our tactical analysis of the match between Italy and England come out today as of this recording, which is... Uh, Monday and by the time you listen to this which will be on Tuesday it will be already out for a day or two so you don't want to miss that make sure you go to the website and check out everything going on there so thank you all for listening we hope to see you back for the next episode hopefully Russell will be there to join us and bring more fun to the discussions as well thanks for listening have a good one and goodbye Ooh.